Well, if you'll please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Our text this Lord's Day will be Galatians 4, 21 through 31. And as you turn there, I just want to bring you greetings from Second Baptist Church in Gdansk, Poland. That's where I was this last week and had the opportunity over last weekend to teach at a conference there and to preach in the church. And I uh, wanted to let you know that your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, so appreciate the partnership that we have with them. Uh, God is doing a great work there. We would ask that you continue to pray for that work. Uh, Gdansk sits there on the northern coast of Poland. It's part of three cities that make up about a million and a half people. And for that million and a half people, uh, less than 1% are evangelical Christians. It's a very lost place. And there is a great need for the light of the gospel. So if you would continue uh, to pray for our church partnership there. If you are considering possibly going to Poland with us, we want to let you know that uh, next month at our members meeting, I believe it's on November 18th, uh, at that members meeting we'll be discussing mission opportunities for 2019 and specifically giving details about our trips next summer to Poland. And so if you have any questions about that, feel free to talk to me or Pastor Matt or Pastor Nick uh, or come to that members meeting. We'll be talking more about them uh, more about those opportunities there. Uh, But for today, we're returning to Galatians chapter 4. We are now at a point in Galatians where Paul is concluding his argument against the Judaizers. These are the people who had crept into Galatia and had taught a false gospel to the Galatians. In essence, they were teaching the Galatians that salvation is by works and not by faith in Christ alone. And so Paul has been countering that argument. Uh, He has been uh, addressing the Galatians and, and this false teaching they had fallen under. And today, he's going to take them to the Old Testament, uh, as he has been doing. He's been talking about how we're heirs of the promise through Abraham, but he's going to specifically take them to the sons of Abraham and show them how that illustrates the difference between trusting in God by faith alone and trusting in God by the works of our hands. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, and add a reverence for the Word of God, if you are able to, if you would stand as I read this text for us. This is what the Holy Spirit says to His church through the Apostle Paul. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born, according, born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. 
you would pray with me, church. Father God, we come to you in the name of Christ our King. And Lord, we ask that you might bring clarity and understanding as we consider this text before us today. Uh, much of what we've just read may seem uh, confusing. It may be, seem out of place. We, we may not fully understand how it fits in this letter to Galatia. And we may be tempted just to kind of move on to the next passage. But Lord, this is your inspired word given to your church for great purpose and great reason. And I pray that we would see that purpose and reason today. Lord, I pray as we consider your words today that we would respond to them through repentance and faith and trust in our Lord Jesus. Lord, would you do this work that only you can do in us as we consider your word now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what should be evident to us as we've been walking through this book of Galatians is that, that Paul is basically addressing two types of people. There are those who believe that salvation comes through faith and faith alone. And there are those who believe salvation comes through works. This debate that was going on in Galatia was not a new one and it would not uh, expire after Paul addresses them. It would go on and on and on. In fact, uh, some 1,500 years later, this issue was still being debated in the church It was heavy on the mind of a 16th century German monk named Martin Luther. He entered the monastic life because he believed what he was taught, what many in the church of that day were taught, that righteousness comes by works. Righteousness comes by deeds. Righteousness comes by charity and by efforts. And so he became a monk thinking, well, if I can just be the best monk possible, then perhaps salvation is possible for me. In fact, Luther would later write this, If anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was I. He tried to be the best monk he possibly could, and yet he was still haunted by the thought of God's judgment. He still understand that no matter how good of a monk he was, he still fell short of the glory of God. And so he would open up the Scriptures and he would meditate on the Scriptures and one passage that God would use radically in his life would be Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, where Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It was these words that the Holy Spirit would use in Martin Luther's life to bring about this great awakening, this great understanding in his own heart of the genuine gospel. In fact, he would later write this, At last, meditating day and night, by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God that is through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. Now this would start a reformation not just in Luther's life, but in the life of the church because on October 31st, 1517, the reformation would begin. 
That was 501 years ago this week. And through the Reformation, people returned to the truth of the Scripture. People returned to a true understanding of salvation. That salvation is not something we attain by our work. Salvation is a gift of God attained only through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But the debate did not end in the 1500s. It continued on and it continued today. And there are still people in the church who struggle with this idea that if I try hard enough, if I work hard enough, I can make myself better and more deserving before a holy God. That the way we get into heaven is through our deeds and our efforts and our works. That if we just try hard enough, maybe we've got a chance. And so it is fitting that we come to Galatians chapter 4 today to be reminded that salvation is by faith and faith in Christ alone. Paul continues his argument to the Galatians by helping them to see in these two groups of people that there is this fundamental conflict. What is at odds is what is it that truly saves us? And so as he addresses them, he brings up this illustration. He takes them back to the Old Testament. Again, that's where the Judaizers had been taking the people all along. They've been telling the Galatians, well, unless you go back to the Old Testament, and unless you obey these commandments, there's no hope for you. Paul says, no, they're missing the big picture. Let's go back to the Old Testament, but let's notice the picture that it puts before us. And so he gives this example of Abraham and his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And in doing so, he begins this passage and ends this passage with a question. In verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He's saying that the Judaizers and those who would follow the Judaizers, we understand you want to be under the law, but are you actually listening to what it says? And then as he unpacks his argument, he brings about another question in verse 30. What does the Scripture say? And that is the fundamental question before us today. What is it the Scripture says here? And how should we live in light of it? And so since Paul is addressing us through questions, I thought that might be a helpful way for us to walk through this passage. And so we'll start with this first question there in your outline. Question number one, do you understand the Scriptures? Do you understand the Scriptures? This is a fundamental question in the church today because we live in a day and age where people are quick to say, well, well, I know what the Bible says about such and such. Well, I, I know the Bible, I read the Bible, but the fundamental question is, do you understand the Bible? Because it is entirely possible to read the Bible every day of your life, but not really understand what it says. The Judaizers knew the Old Testament. That they knew what it taught. They could quote it verse by verse, but they did not understand it. That's what Paul's bringing to life with that question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? Oftentimes, the law in this use was a reference to the Old Testament as a whole. But sometimes, it just refers back to those first five books of the Old Testament. Paul is saying here, you who desire to be under the law, he's not saying you desire to obey everything in it. What he's saying is you desire to be made righteous through it. You are looking to the law to save you. So if you're looking to the law to save you, do you really understand what the law actually teaches? 
is basically saying to them, you may think you know it, but you're not actually listening to it. That's the case for us today too, isn't it? It is entirely possible for you to come to church week after week after week for, for you to hear the Bible being taught. But the question this morning is, are you actually listening to it? Did he understand what it says? And so Paul starts to unpack this and this need to understand it by bringing up an illustration from the Old Testament. He talks about Abraham's two sons. Now this requires us to go back to the Old Testament to consider what took place here. Many of you know this story. God made a promise to Abraham and his wife Sarah that he would bless the nations through their offspring. The problem was Sarah was barren. Sarah had no children. They were getting older in age. And so God makes this promise to Abraham that you're going to have a son and I'm going to bless the nations through the son. But this looked to be an impossibility. And so the day comes when Abraham and Sarah decide that perhaps their works need to be involved in the fulfillment of this promise. And so they tapped into a custom that is very foreign to us today, might seem a little bizarre to us today, but it fit within the context of their culture. Sarah offers up her servant Hagar to her husband Abraham, by whom then he can have a child. And so Abraham and Sarah look at how they can fix this situation. God's made this promise. Well, surely they need to do something. They can't just sit around and wait. And so Abraham goes then with Hagar, and then she conceives and gives birth to Ishmael. But there's a problem. And the problem is this. God didn't need Abraham to fix anything. And God wasn't calling Abraham and Sarah to fix this situation. God was calling Abraham and Sarah to have faith in him and trust in him. And even though they fail, he continues to call them to have faith in him and trust in him. And 14 years later, when Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah's about 90 years old, she conceives and gives birth to Isaac who was indeed the child of promise. So what does this have to do with Paul's argument to the Galatians? Well, notice what he says there in verse 23. He says, The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. And so what Paul now does is he takes Ishmael and Isaac, and he shows how they illustrate these two thoughts that were present there in Galatia. This thought that salvation would come by faith, and this thought that salvation would come by works. So, for example, with Ishmael. Ishmael's birth was a result of Abraham's lack of faith. God called Abraham to trust in him to do a supernatural work. But Abraham failed to trust him. Abraham took matters into his own hands. Abraham tried to fix the situation. Now, I don't know if that's something that you identify with, but that's something I identify with. That this, this desire to fix things. When, when faced with a situation, when faced with a problem, so many times the first question that comes to our mind is, what can I do to fix this? But notice God wasn't calling Abraham to fix anything. He was calling Abraham to have faith in him. But Abraham fails. 
and Ishmael is a result of Abraham's faithlessness. And that is why Paul refers to his birth as according to the flesh. Rather than wait on divine intervention, he sought to see what he could do by the work of his own hands. But then he contrasts Ishmael's birth with Isaac's. Isaac's birth was a result of God's faithfulness. And so now God waits more than a decade after Ishmael's birth. And through just the supernatural, through divine intervention, God works in such a way that Sarah is able to conceive and then she has this child of promise. And that's why Paul refers to Isaac as him who was born through promise. And so what do these things, again, have to do with Galatia? Well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul here then takes these two examples to illustrate what's going on in the life of the church. He says that Hagar and Ishmael, along with Sarah and Isaac, represent two different covenants. Hagar and Ishmael represent the covenant of law and works. God promises a blessing through Abraham's offspring, So how does Abraham seek to attain that blessing? Through his own works. He doesn't trust God. He works out his own plan and he trusts in his flesh. That is compared to this other covenant through Sarah and Isaac. It represents a covenant of grace and truth. Sarah is only able to get pregnant through the grace of God. And through that miraculous intervention, God provides this child of promise. Now again, God didn't tell Abraham and Sarah that that their works were required, that their efforts were required. He didn't tell them, listen, if you guys just have enough faith, I'm going to give you this child. He simply called them to trust in Him. And they failed to trust in Him, but over time they learned to. So Paul holds up these two examples and he says, here we have two covenants. That of law and works, which fails, and that of grace and faith, which is what God provides for us, and through that, an understanding of what it truly needs means to be saved. Paul takes this example and he says, what you have in front of you is the big picture of salvation. See, what Paul's doing, and he's helping the people to understand how they can rightly evaluate and understand the Bible. And this is where so many miss out on the Scriptures today. And this is why I think there's such a misunderstanding of the Scriptures so many times. is because we fail to see that all these stories that take place are really pointing us to the bigger story of Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, as Abraham is trying to see, or God's showing Abraham what he needs to do to trust in him, and Abraham's failing to, he's pointing us towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Judaizers completely missed this point. In fact, the Judaizers likely were telling the Galatians, well, here's what it means to truly be a child of Abraham. Paul says, you want to talk about children of Abraham? (laughs) Well, let me point out two examples and help you understand which is the right way to address God and which is the wrong way. He is pointing out their lack of understanding of the Scriptures, which comes to us today with this question, do you and I understand the Scriptures? I'm not asking you if you know what the Bible says. I'm not asking you how often you read it. I'm asking you fundamentally, do you understand it? And for many of us, the reality is we don't. In fact, I've had many conversations with people who will say that very thing. They'll say, Pastor, 
I really enjoy listening to, to preaching. I, I enjoy it when other people tell me what the Bible says. I, te- I seem to understand that better. But when I just open up my Bible and I start to read it, I, I don't understand it. Well, the question is, why don't you understand it? And I think there's a number of reasons that the Scripture tells us. For example, one of the reasons that you may not understand the Bible is because you're actually not a Christian. Now that may sound a bit harsh, but listen to what the Scripture says of itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul's saying there's a reason when some people open up the Bible that it doesn't make any sense to them at all. There's a reason that they don't understand it. There's a reason that at times it's just kind of foolishness to them. And that reason is because they don't have the Spirit of the living God within them. That that reason is because they don't understand the Gospel. You see, the Gospel is the lens through which we are to view all of the Scripture. We're able to go back and make sense of so many things in the Old Testament in light of what we learn in the Gospel. But if we don't understand the Gospel, we're not going to understand the Scripture. And so the question is, do you understand the Gospel? Have you responded in repentance and faith? Do you understand that the Scripture says very clearly that that God created all things but that man rebelled against God, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That God promised in the garden, in that rebellion, a Redeemer would come, and that Redeemer is Jesus Christ. And we desperately need to place our hope and faith in Jesus because Jesus does what we can never do. We can't be perfect in our obedience. We can't be perfect in our faithfulness. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And He also went to the cross He died in our place. The Scripture says God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Scripture says if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Friend, have you trusted Jesus? I'm not asking if you just intellectually agree with these things. I'm saying have you you trusted in Him with your life? And if you haven't, then that very well may be the reason you struggle to understand the Scripture. But there are other reasons. It may be that when you come to the Scripture, you don't understand it. Not because you're not a Christian. It may be that you're just a very young or immature Christian. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to say this, But brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. While there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving in a human way? Well, what is Paul saying here? Paul is just pointing towards the reality of how things work in the human body. (laughs) He is saying, I had to give you milk. What is milk? Milk is pre-digested food. He's saying, I couldn't give you the real thing because you couldn't handle it. And you might think of it this way. Uh, Imagine uh, today after church you decide, uh, you know what? A steak sounds good. I think that uh, I'll just take the family down the road and we'll go to the steakhouse and we'll get a steak today. Does that sound like a good idea? Anybody? I like it. If you want to go, you can take me, take my family. You can just take me. They can fend for themselves, but... 
So let's imagine we do that and we, we go there to the steakhouse and, you know, it's going to, you know, the sermon will go for a while, so everybody's cleared out from lunch by then. So we get there and, and we look around and something seems a bit peculiar. It's a steakhouse. The, the menu's filled with steak and all kinds of meats, but as you look around, you notice every single person in the restaurant is drinking a glass of milk and that's all. Well, that'd be a little odd, a little out of place. You don't go to a steakhouse to get just a glass of milk. You want the meat. You want the real thing. You don't want something that's already been processed. You want to process it. And what Paul's saying here is that I can't give you that because you're not ready for that. So I've got to give you something over here somebody's chewed on and processed and dissected and they've come up with this little bulletin and outline of three points and that's all you can handle right now. Why? Because you're immature. It may be that you're young in the faith. It may be that you've been a believer for decades. But you've never gone farther than a glass of milk. That may be one of the reasons you don't understand the Scripture. It may also be, as we see here in Galatia, that the reason you don't understand it is because you've been influenced by false teaching. Now, oftentimes we're led astray by false teachers, therefore we're not able to rightly understand it because we've been taught the wrong thing. We see that addressed in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate them for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off in the myths. We see that in the church of Galatia. We see that in churches today all the time. Many people come to church not to hear the truth, but just to have their itching ears scratched. And sometimes when they go to a church where the truth is proclaimed, they'll leave that church and they'll say things like, well, I just didn't get anything out of that. I just don't really understand that preacher and they'll be drawn towards those who will, they'll just feed them those little bite-sized things, those little glasses of milk who will just put a little bit out there in front of them, but really, they'll start to taint it, and they'll just teach them stuff they want to hear. I mean, we, we like to hear things we like to hear. We don't necessarily like the truth sometimes because it, it confronts our sin. And so we're naturally drawn towards those who will tell us the things we, we want to hear, things that make us feel good about ourselves. Well, I just love Pastor so-and-so. I just I always feel so uplifted when he preaches. I always walk away so encouraged. And so often we're drawn towards those things that never lead us to deal with conviction of sin, repentance over sin. We're offended by the mention of hell and judgment, by anything that might step on our toes. And the Scripture says this is the inclination of our heart. And if that is the route that we take, then when we are handed the truth, we likely will not desire it nor understand it. So again, the question before us is this. Do you understand the Scriptures? And if not, how can you begin to understand them? And the answer is simple. It's Jesus. <laughs> I teach a Wednesday night Bible study here at church and we'll joke at times when I ask questions. Sometimes there's silence and so I just let the folks know, listen, half the time the answer is Jesus. So if you just say Jesus, you got a 50-50 shot. So, so how can we rightly understand the Scriptures? 
See, y'all are great. You got this figured out. But what does that mean? What it means is this, that, that in order to understand all of God's Word, we need to first understand who is the Word. And in order to, to, to look at it and see it and understand it, we, we need a lens through which we can comprehend it. Listen, if I take these things off right now, y'all might as well leave. I don't even know you're here. So if you're looking for a time to duck out, this would be it. I, I can't tell who's who. You could be my wife, but I know you're not because she went down the hall just a little while ago. And then I put these glasses on and I'm like, that's Eddie, that's not my wife. That's not even close to my wife. But why can I now see and now I can't see? Because without this lens, without this filter, I don't understand the world around me. That's how blind I am. And that's true of us spiritually as well, friend. And until we put on the lens of the gospel and rightly understand who Jesus is, this doesn't make sense to us. But when we begin to understand the gospel, then we can go back and we can see how all these things point forward to Jesus. And that's what Jesus said about the Scripture. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. After the resurrection, there's that situation where Jesus is just walking along the road to Emmaus. There's two there that are talking about Jesus. And then he just completely opens up their minds. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the Scriptures concerning himself. Oh, I would, I would have loved to have been there for that. Jesus goes back to Genesis. Let me, let me tell you how this pointed towards me. In the Exodus, let me show you how this pointed towards me. And goes through the Old Testament and show how all that was pointing towards Him. Do you understand that? Question two. Do you understand what God has promised? Paul continues now that he's, he's explained how Isaac and Ishmael illustrate this, this greater picture of salvation by faith or by works. And then he says this in verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Well, what does that mean? Well, Pastor John MacArthur says it this way, For every believer, like Isaac, is supernaturally conceived, miraculously born, and the offspring of God's promise to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. Therefore they must remember that they are children of promise who owe their life not to their own effort, but to the miraculous power of God. So Paul makes it clear here, as a child of promise, you became a child of promise because of God's miraculous work in you. It wasn't through your efforts that you were declared righteous. It was through the righteousness of Christ. I realize we live in a culture today that presents faith as something that we all choose. As if at a certain age we just kind of go to the, the local store of spirituality and we walk down the aisle and we start to check all the labels. Well, this, this religion doesn't fit me so well. I'll put that one back. And, ah, this one looks, well, that one costs too much. And then we come along, Christi oh, yeah, Christianity, I think, I think I'll, I'll choose that one, try it out for a while. Now what we see here in the Scriptures is that we become children of promise through the miraculous work of God. Through Jesus Christ. Because the scripture says over and over again, we were sinners and Jesus died for us. We, we were lost and depraved. We, we were content with wickedness. 
And God showed His grace towards us and His mercy towards us and called us to repentance and faith. And then we respond to that offer through trusting in Christ. And as we do that, we begin to understand that all of the promises that we see throughout the Scripture, that they all point us to Jesus. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So everything that God promises will come to fruition, and everything that God promises will come to fruition in and through Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Here's the problem. We have so many in the church today who are confused about what it is that God has actually promised and what He has not. And so often people come to a crisis of faith because they believe God has let them down or God has disappointed them because He hasn't done what He promised to do when the reality is He never promised to do those things. Well, we have been so influenced in the church today by the prosperity gospel that that, that we gravitate towards this thought that we create our blessing by our faith rather than receive a blessing according to the promise of God. And all this happens when we don't see the big picture and we take the Scripture out of context. For example, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And so many take that verse and they say, well, it's, it's really clear. Whatever you ask in prayer, whatever, believe that you've received it, So if you've just got enough faith and belief that you're going to receive it, then it's yours. Let's try that out. If I have enough faith, my child will not be sick. If I have enough faith, my my loved one will no longer suffer from this terrible disease. If I have enough faith, then when I log into my bank account on Monday morning, there's going to be a lot more than was there today when I logged in. (laughs) If I just have enough faith, if I just trust God enough, man, I'm going to go to the mailbox and there's just going to be some big blessing there that I had no idea it was coming. If I have enough faith, if I believe enough, it will be mine. What is the problem with that thought? The problem is, friend, that's not what the Scripture teaches. The problem is that when we interpret Mark eleven twenty four through the rest of Scripture, we get a better idea and understanding of what Jesus is saying. For example, 1 John five fourteen, and this is the confidence we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So yes, when we ask according to the will of the Father, He is so glad and gracious to give us those things because it's His will. But perfect health, a life free of suffering and trial, friends, those aren't the will of God. In fact, God tells us in His Word that His will, His plan is that we will suffer. They will face persecution and hardship. Consider the context again of what Paul is saying here. Verse 29. Hey, he refers back to 
Isaac and Ishmael. He says, but just at that time, as in that time, when he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was going born according to the Spirit. He's saying there's this situation, if you go back, you see, when, when Isaac was getting older to, to celebrate his maturing, Abraham threw a feast and a festival, and, and at that, Ishmael mocked him. Ishmael persecuted him. And Paul pulls that back up to the center and says, listen, there's a conflict here that's still going on today. And it's still going on today. The descendants of Ishmael and Isaac, still going on. And Paul's saying that there's a big picture here of persecution. Don't think that a life in Christ is a life free of persecution. In fact, Jesus says, if you love Him and follow Him, you're going to suffer. It doesn't say how, and it's certainly not proportional. I feel unqualified to talk to some of you about suffering because of what you have endured and lost. It is not an even scale. God does not allot out to us, well, everyone's going to suffer this amount. But he does say we're, we're all going to suffer. John 16, Jesus says in the world, you, you will, you will, not may, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that how we respond sometimes to suffering? Like, why is this happening? He said, don't, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Friends, do you understand what God has promised it may be that your struggle today with God is because you are struggling with something He never promised you. I understand, I, I wrestle with this question often. Lord, Lord, why this suffering? Why this trial? Why, why this on this person? Why so much here? Lord, why? And I don't have convenient answers to those questions. But I know this. That in this world we'll have tribulation, but we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. He doesn't say, go be an overcomer. Go, 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 go just try harder. He says, He has overcome the world. And He doesn't say that trials won't come. He says, don't be surprised when they do, but rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. There, there's a day coming for His children when the glory is revealed and all the suffering's done, friend. And that may seem like little comfort when you're in the thick of it. But know this. His glory is coming and it is eternal. That's why in light of these present sufferings, we are to long for the new creation. And we do that through looking to Jesus and remembering what it is He has truly promised. In the world, we will have tribulation, but take heart. He has overcome the world. This brings us to that final question. Then, are you placing your trust in Jesus? 
Paul concludes this passage by saying another question. Well, what does the Scripture say? He starts out by saying those those who say they're under it, they, they, they don't even listen to the Scripture. So, so when we listen, what does it actually say to us? And then he goes back to Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. It says, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. What, what, what is Paul saying there? Saying you go back to salvation history and you see what what God does there in that situation is that Abraham has to cast out Hagar and Ishmael because Ishmael wasn't the child of the promise the inheritance wouldn't come through him it would come through Isaac how's that apply to Galatia I believe what Paul's saying with the Holy Spirit saying through Paul is you need to cast out the Judaizers you need to root this false teaching out of the church you need to you need to get away from it there's no place for it in the church of Jesus Christ. You need to return to the genuine gospel, to what it is God has actually promised. You need to focus your heart and your meditation on that, and you need to get rid of the Judaizers and this false teaching. But as Paul continues in Galatians 5 and 6, he helps the Galatians to see that it's not just those out there that need to be rooted out. There's a lot of stuff in here that needs to be rooted out. And so what we'll see in these next two chapters is our attention will now turn away from what's on the outside influencing us and what's on the inside influencing us. The sin of our own hearts. And Paul says you need to root that out as well. And how do we do that? We do that not through trying to fix it with our hands. Not through vowing and trying harder. Not through saying, well, I know I did this wrong, so I'm just going to really try and try and try and stop doing it. No, we, we root those things out through trusting in Jesus. See, friends, we, we, we come to salvation through Christ, and we come to sanctification through Christ. Sanctification is, is growing more and more to be like Jesus. It's rooting the sin out of our hearts. And, and the error in the church today is so many of us will run to Jesus for salvation, but then we think, now I've got to clean my life up. Now I've got to try harder. And what we'll see as Paul unpacks this is, no, we, we need to trust in Christ and in the work of the Spirit for sanctification and growth in these areas. And fundamentally, where that starts is with asking ourselves the question, are we truly trusting in Jesus today? Think about where you're at and what you're experiencing. Are, are you just saying, giving lip service to, yeah, I'm trusting God, but, you know, really, I've got to fix it, you know? God helps those who, not Bible, <laughs> not in the Scripture, maybe on a bumper sticker, maybe at Cracker Barrel. It's not what Jesus says. God helps those whom God helps. God does what God will do, and we are called to walk by faith and trust in Him. Are you trusting in Him today? Or are you trusting in the work of your hands? God calls us clearly to trust in Him. And how do we do that? We do that by faith. And so in a moment, we're going to sing about that very thing. About what it means to trust God by faith. That we might stand 
as children of the promise, that we might fix our eyes on Jesus, that we might run the race with our gaze on Him, that we might walk by faith and not by sight. And friends, it begins right now in this moment with deciding, are you going to trust in Jesus fully and completely or not? And God in His grace puts that question before you, but He's calling you to answer it today. Will you trust in Him? Will you have faith? Let's stand together as we consider these things. Father God, I do pray that we would be a people who would trust in You. Lord, I pray for those who today are struggling through trials, who are suffering in immeasurable ways. God, that in the midst of their pain and their grief, that they would fix their gaze on Christ and that they would trust in Christ. Lord, I pray that You would help us not to abandon our need to trust in You and just try to immediately fix everything ourselves, but Lord, that we would truly and completely trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Pray, God, that our hope would rest in Him. I pray, God, that our gaze would rest on Him. I pray, God, that You would help us to understand Your Word as we seek to trust in Christ by faith. So help us, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight. This is what we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.